So today's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, And now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there, between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks, Boko. Um, and hi, everyone. My name's Joe. Uh, and if you're a guest today, it's particularly fantastic to have you with us. Um, if you were following that uh, passage along in your Bibles, do keep that open on page 16. Uh, and as we begin, um, why not let's pray? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that every part of the Bible is your word, that you give it to us uh, for a purpose. And so we pray your spirit would be working in us today, helping us to to understand and and to see what you are like and what we are like in light of what you are like. We pray that you grow our reliance on your son, Jesus, um, rather than in ourselves, um, as we hear from you today. In his name we pray. Amen. So I want to to start today by telling you a story. Um, I know a woman, I love her 
to bits. She used to look after me quite a lot when I was younger. Um, and she's been looking for love, yearning for love, all of her life. Um, she's been through two messy marriages that have been painful for her and painful for her kids. Um, she's in a relationship now, but still feels lonely. And she's, she's just past 60. And we were catching up recently in a, a booth at McDonald's. And she turned to me with tears in her eyes. And she said, I just want companionship. All of her life, she's been yearning for love. That's been her deep hope. And she feels it's just starting to, to slip away from her. I think we all have those deep level hopes, don't we? I don't know what yours is. Um, it might be the hope for really secure love. It might be the hope for really lasting approval. It might be the hope for change inside, dealing with some of those parts of ourselves that we just wish weren't the way that they are. I wonder what yours is. What do we do when we feel like our deepest hopes just aren't coming true? Because look, if you're anything like me, then there definitely are times when we uh, do feel that, when we do feel like our deepest hopes are just slipping away, that they're not coming true. So, so maybe you are like that lady. You're lonely sometimes. You're yearning for love. Or maybe it's approval that you really want. And you just find yourself saying things to the boss to, to get his attention or her attention that you just wish that you didn't say a moment later. Or perhaps uh, you're a, a tired uh, parent uh, and you have two hopes, really. You want to be a good, patient parent, and you'd also like a little bit of rest sometimes as well. Uh, but, but when your kids keep answering back, uh, and your guard is down, your, your temper will flare, and, and that just pushes your kids away, and you're not feeling any more rested, and you're not feeling any more patient. And if you're a Christian, then you know that God has promised uh, the, the spiritual gift, the fruit of patience, but you're not really feeling it. And you wonder sometimes whether you ever will. What do we do when our, our deepest hopes just aren't coming true? Look, if that, if that makes any kind of sense, if that's connecting at all on any level, then why not let's see what Genesis 16 has to, to say into that together. So, so where are we? Well, we're with um, Abram and Sarai, and they've been given this absolutely amazing promise by God. They've been told that they're going to uh, have a child that's going to be the beginning of a great nation. And just last week in Genesis 15, um, we were seeing that Abram's been promised again that he'll have his own son, his own flesh and blood. But, but that massive promise uh, has come across a, a big problem. And it can kind of be summed up in, in two numbers, 10 and 75. Don't worry, this isn't going to turn into bingo or anything like that. Uh, but, but 10, it's been 10 years since the Lord first made that promise to Abraham. That's a long time to wait. I can't wait 10 minutes for a bus in London without starting to get pretty frustrated. 
and 75. That's probably how old Sarai is at this point. She's been bound for a long time. So it looks pretty unlikely, even impossible, that this deep hope is going to get fulfilled, that this child's going to come along. I just, uh, for a moment, want us to see the scale of that problem, because I think in the 21st century, uh, it's pretty hard to see what this might have meant. Because uh, this child was meant to be the beginning of a nation that was going to bless the world, that was going to undo all the pain and the suffering that we experience, a child that was uh, eventually going to lead to a nation that will bring secure love and approval to people, to end the conflict that we feel between ourselves and God. I think we also need to see what this might have meant for Sarai personally too. Because uh, today, um, having a child, it's kind of ambiguous for a woman, isn't it? Um, so sometimes it's seen as a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing, depending on career and situation. But in this culture, at this time, having a child was a woman's core hope. It was the difference between having a life that had made a difference that counted and one that hadn't. So Sarai comes up with a plan. Uh, she'd give her, her female slave to her husband, and then she, that slave, Hagar, would have a child. Now, if you're anything like me, we read that and we go, whoa, that's abusive. And it is. There's a real imbalance of power here. And as we go on, we're going to see that this is not being commended by the author at all. But I think we've also got to see that back then, at that time, this would have been a totally normal initiative. So uh, next-door neighbours, the Smiths, if they'd been in the same situation, they'd have done this. If your gran had been there, then she wouldn't have batted an eyelid at this plan. Seriously? Because if you want to have a child and you can't, well, if your, your slave has a child with your husband, because she's your slave, then that child kind of counts as yours as well. It's a bit like um, surrogate mums today. It was also a common sense plan, at least on one level, because Abraham needs to have a child of his own flesh, and Sarai wants to have a child uh, she can call her own. It ticks all the boxes. So the question is, can Sarai make her deepest hopes come true? And for us, I think, as well, can we, when we feel that God isn't coming through, or if God isn't in the picture for us, can, can we make our deepest hopes come true? Well, um, if you've got it open, do have a look down at verse 2. I'm just going to read it out from the word the. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Let me ask you, um, anyone can, can shout out at this point, uh, whose plan is Sarai relying on here? Do just shout out. Uh, yeah, whose plan is Sarai relying on here? It's her own, that's right. Perhaps I can build a family 
through her. And we see who she's not trusting as well. She's not trusting God. God distrusting, self-reliant. This is meant to be a big flashing red light to us. Because if we've been going through Genesis before, then we've seen this kind of attitude before. It's, It's the same pattern as with Adam and Eve. In fact, it's even the same words as Adam and Eve. Uh, So when Adam and Eve were in the garden, Eve took the fruit, gave it to her husband, and he ate. And uh, if you can see the end of verse 3, in her self-reliant plan, Sarai took her slave, gave her to her husband, and he slept with her. There's the only two times in the Bible you get that pattern of words. The the author is is telling us that the same cycle of misery that started with Adam and Eve's plan, that cycle of misery is going to take place in this family because of Sarai and Abraham's plan. It's going to cause arrogance, jealousy, irresponsibility, shirking of responsibility, cruelty, disobedience. And we see all of that in just a few verses. This family is ripped apart. And I don't know if you noticed, but at the end, everyone's deepest hopes are frustrated. So so Abram, no promised son. Sarai, no child to call her own. And Hagar, no status, no security. Hopes frustrated. What's the the point of all of this for us many years later? I think this story is showing us that we can't make our deepest hopes come true. Why? Well, we we haven't gone to the, the same length as Sarai, or at least I hope we haven't. But like Sarai, our self reliant shortcuts only lead to frustration. And I think we see that all of the time in our own experience. So, so my wife, uh, Zanny, um, was uh, chatting to a mum recently at a, a toddler's group they both go to. Um, and this mum shared how she was really getting angry with her kids. And she just couldn't stop herself. And she felt sad about it. She really wanted to change. And she was telling my wife that she tried all kinds of things Uh, Perhaps a bit of uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, if you've heard of that. Uh, A bit of meditation. She'd ask people for advice. But but nothing seemed to be working. But she still said to to Zanny, I just need to find a strategy that that works, that works for me. I definitely have said that in the past. But, But the thing is, she hadn't found that strategy in the last few years... Because it's not a problem of strategy. There are all kinds of great ideas for parenting out there. The problem is the mess inside us. And that she couldn't deal with. We can't make our our hopes, our deep hopes for love, for approval, for real change, come true. And our self-reliant shortcuts leave us frustrated, like a dog chasing its own tail. But that's not where our story has to end. 
because it's, it's not where this story ends. Uh, so uh, the rest of our passage from verse 7 shows us that God can be trusted to fulfill our deepest hopes. Why? Because he cares for those that no one else sees. Because uh, we're with Hagar in verse 7. She's an Egyptian. She's a slave. She's a runaway. She's pregnant. She's in a bit of a mess. Uh, she's the, the homeless person who we, we might walk past on the street and, and we avoid their gaze in embarrassment. But, but God comes and meets her. Uh, verse 7, um, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Now, we don't want to get too caught up on the angel of the Lord, but earlier we had uh, Skype in here and people were watching uh, the baptism from Skype. And the angel of the Lord's a bit like Skype. So when you hear your relative or your friend speaking through the iPad, you know the iPad isn't your friend or your relative, but you treat it like it is. And in the same way, when the angel of the Lord speaks, that's the Lord speaking. And he speaks to this lonely, pregnant slave woman who doesn't even know who she's talking to at the beginning of this story. But she encounters God there. And he asks her a searching question. And he gives a big command. And he makes some promises. Some of them are amazing promises. Some of them are pretty mixed promises. But, but what really struck me reading this is, is just seeing the effect of this encounter with God on Hagar. Because you get to the end of verse 13... And after this incredible meeting, with all these things said, what does she focus on? It's God. She she doesn't focus on her problem. She doesn't even focus on the the promises. She focuses on the person who's spoken to her. Because she knows that he's the God who sees her. That he's in control. that, That he can make promises and keep them generations down the line of her family. And she knows that he cares for her, that he's seen her in her misery. And that totally transforms her attitude. She doesn't even know God's name at the end of this passage. But she does know what he's like. And she trusts him. She knows what he's like, and she knows what he's like to her. And so she goes back to Abram and Sarai. Because when you know that God is in control and he cares for you, then you can trust him to fulfill your deepest hopes. Uh, one person who, who knew about that was a, a lady called Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, I don't know if you've ever come across her. Um, but she lived in Holland during World War II. Uh, and she had many hopes for a tight-knit, loving family life. And then the Nazis invade Holland. And... Uh, because of their faith in Jesus, she and her family start to hide Jews in their house. And eventually somebody rats on them. And she ends up in a concentration camp in her 50s. And she was beaten and starved. She even saw her sister die in front of her from a completely avoidable illness. But when it looked like all of her hopes in life were far out of reach and just couldn't come true, then she believed that God would 
fulfill her deepest hopes. Not in the way that she had expected, but because he cared for her, because he was in control, because he saw her, she knew that she had his love. She knew that she had his approval. She knew he had, or she had his power to change, even to forgive the people who'd done that to her. And this is what she said after that experience. It's been running through my head the last week or so. Don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Because uh, you can also almost imagine, can't you, what would have happened when, when Hagar unexpectedly comes out of the desert and returns to Abraham and Sarai and told her story to Abraham and Sarai. They'd have gone, wow, God saw Hagar? God saw this Egyptian slave runaway? And he cares for her? He makes promises to her? To someone like that? They'd have known that they should, that they could, trust him to fulfill their deepest hopes, to give them the child that he'd already promised them. And the truth is that God fulfills our deepest hopes in Jesus. Because uh, eventually Abraham and Sarai did have that promised child. His name was Isaac. And uh, eventually he did become a great nation down the line. And eventually Jesus came from that family, from that nation. And he was born in particularly unexpected circumstances as well. And he came to fulfill every single hope that God had promised through that family. Because when he died on the cross, he makes this amazing swap. He takes the burden of all our self-reliance schemes and all the mess that they make in us, in other people, and then he, he shares with all those who trust him everything that he has. The secure love of his heavenly Father, given Secure acceptance with God, given. His power to change those bits of ourselves that we just can't change ourselves, given. Jesus has everything that we deeply hope for. And he shares it. He offers to share it with us. That's part of what baptism is symbolizing. And in fact, we were just promising together, weren't we, to, to help Alex not trust his own self-reliance schemes, but, but to trust this Jesus. So if Jesus was here now, I think he'd say something like this. Will you let go of your grip and put your hopes in my hands? Will we let go of our grip and put our hopes in his hands? What would it be like if we did say yes to that? Uh, well, if you say you've been holding Christianity at arm's length a little bit, can I ask you this? What deep hope are you afraid of losing by putting it in Jesus' hands? Because if this passage is telling the truth, then God, Jesus, is much better at fulfilling our deepest hopes than we are. Much better. 
not in our way, not by the means that we would choose, perhaps, but his love for you will be secure. His approval of you will be constant. And he does give the power to change. If that gets your attention, even just a a tiny little bit, can I encourage you to, to see whether that's true, to see whether trusting him and his way of fulfilling your hopes is, is worth it. Uh, and maybe uh, chat to somebody you trust, who, who you know has already placed their hopes in Jesus' hands. Uh, and if, uh, like me, you'd say you're a Christian, and you have placed your hopes in Jesus' hands, but, but also, like me, you find that, that sometimes you just want to grab them back and start relying on your own plans again. If that describes us at all, then... then Here are just a couple of of, of stories that might be ours that just give a picture of what responding to this today might look like. So uh, maybe you're lonely uh, and and you're making uh, uh, thoughts about what this might mean. And so when you get home, you take uh, something like a post-it note and you just write on it, I'm securely loved because of Jesus. And maybe tomorrow morning you make that the first thing that you go and look at. And you think it through and you pray it over. Lord, thank you that I am loved by you. And then you go into the first conversation of the day, whether that's at the breakfast table, whether whether that's somewhere else. And and you go in, rather than thinking, love me, consciously reflecting, I am loved. And just see what difference that makes to the interactions you have in that day. Or maybe you're that exhausted parent and you were planning uh, to watch some Netflix or telly one evening this week. Maybe you decide to to scrap that just this this once and take five minutes to pray, to to get down on your knees as a sign that you've reached the end of yourself and just pass on to God the anger, the frustration you feel. Ask him for his help, for his power to change. And then next morning, before you you know you're going to see the kids, you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, And to the Lord, Lord, please help me see them the way that you see me. It's going to look different for each of us. But can you just imagine what it would be like if we could place our hopes in Jesus' hands? Because surely that's the best place that we could ever put them. Amen.